welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Um, my name's Micah, if we haven't met. I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. And um, yeah, last week we were in the park. We, uh, we celebrated six years. Awaken's been, our sixth birthday was last week which was awesome, like 250 of you showed up in the park to worship with us, which was a lot, a lot of fun. It was kind of weird. I still have this sort of, uh, it's very close to me where I feel like um, I was just yesterday driving to the joke joint wondering if anybody would come to church, and then I would leave the joke joint wondering if anyone would ever come back. Uh, I feel like that was just yesterday that was happening, and yet here you are. You came back, so thank you. If For nobody else, thank you. It means a lot to me that you all uh, are here. Um, but in all seriousness, um, we are going to continue in a series that we've been in called Lost in Translation. Um, we, over the last six weeks or so, we've been taking difficult passages throughout the summer and just sort of wrestling with them. Uh, some of them have been um, passages that are hard to hear. Maybe it's a hard word. Um, some of them have been just kind of bizarre. Uh, we did a little mini-series on the book of Revelation, which tends to be a little um, just wonky at times, a little weird. Um, one, guy, uh, one guy was quoted and said something about like John's greatest acid trip or he was doing drugs when he wrote it. And it seems like that sometimes, if we're honest, right? So some of them are just bizarre and weird. Today we're going to start um, a, a couple of, of, of teachings that will happen in the next few weeks on um, passages that are a little more theologically difficult to understand. And uh, if you remember in like week one, I gave you an opportunity to write some things down. What, what do you want to study? It was like all request uh, lunch hour. And this one wasn't on my radar, but a number of you asked for it. So it's Mark chapter 9. This is called the Transfiguration of Jesus. So if you would stand and we'll read this passage and we will jump in and see if there isn't anything for us here today. Mark chapter 9, by the way, it's page 820 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, if you don't have one, uh, says this, and he said to them, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they, had all, or where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. There appeared before Elijah and Moses who, who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, for they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept, uh, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what risen from the dead meant. And they asked him, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather as your church, uh, we recognize that there is a, a church, um, big C, gathered all across the world, people who follow you and who call themselves uh, followers of this Jesus and this way of being human. Uh, we want to stand in that tradition. We want to step into that, God. We 
are one small part of a very large movement of people. Um, so we thank you for that, that you are moving and speaking and still leading and guiding and inviting your church to be uh, ambassadors, to be people who represent everything that this passage is about in the world. So God, may we be found faithful to our families and our friends and our co-workers, uh, loving and inviting people to this way of following you. I pray in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So this passage is a little weird. Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to understand for a number of different reasons. There's a lot of things going on. Um, I want to start by telling you this story, uh, something that happened to me this week. I was at the Spot Bar, which if you have never been to the Spot Bar, if you're a West St. Pauler or a St. Pauler, uh, you know, West 7th neighborhood folk, this place is like Quentin Tarantino might film the next Kill Bill movie at the Spot. All right, you tracking with me? It's, it's a weird little place. Um, so I'm at the spot with a friend of mine, we're, uh, we're having a meeting, and um, somebody gets up from the bar, this sort of long, um, uh, curly-haired dude, you know, somewhat what you maybe might imagine John the, John the Baptist to look like, he's kind of disheveled and hair all over the place, and he gets up and he leaves the bar and he says on his way out the door, Jesus loves you, to me and my other pastor friend, Steve. At which point you're kind of like all right, you know, you're not sure if this is like somebody who's had a couple too many or if he's sincere or what. So, yep, okay, and he walks out. Not like a minute later, he comes back, right? And he is not drunk. He is lucid, okay? And he comes up to our table and he says, you know, I just, I really felt like the Lord was in asking me to come back and, and maybe uh, to encourage you guys. Now, pause for one second, right? All the skeptic like flags in my spirit are just like flying high at this point, okay? Uh, I didn't grow up in a, in a culture or in a church that, um, that was very charismatic at all. Like if somebody raised their hands like they were calling the ushers down, you know, like something was wrong, you know? Like everyone was just dead, stick straight, nobody raised their hands. I mean, it was very, very traditional, very, very, you know, reserved. So I, I'm not, I didn't grow up in this, but he comes back in and he says, I feel like I have a word for the Lord, a word from the Lord for you. So we're like, well, actually, we're pastors, you know, so do you still have a word for the Lord or, you know, I don't know. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he sits down at our table and he's, you know, he's like, you know, can we, can I pray with you? Again, like flags are flying, okay? And I'm like, sure. So we start to pray. There's people in the bar. They're all watching us now, right? And so he, he starts to pray. He's like, you know, Holy Spirit, Come. And then, I, I'm not kidding you, it's like he's having a conversation with somebody who's not in the room, right? He's like, hmm, yes, yes, right, okay, uh-huh. Like, he's talking on the phone with somebody, right? And I'm, and I'm like, one eye closed, one eye closed. I'm just kind of like, what is going on here? You know, like, this is, people in the bar are literally, like, they are turned around on their bar stools, and they are watching what's happening. And I'm, you know, I live in this neighborhood. Like, I'm a pastor in this neighborhood. Like, I might go to that bar again, and I'm, you know, just think all these scenarios are going through my head about these, th these people think that, like, I'm that kind of crazy. You know what I mean? So he, he gets through listening, having his conversation, and then he says, Micah, I see, I, I, I saw this image of, of like, a, a, a large number one, and it was, like, glowing, and, and does that mean anything to you? And I said, well... I was really disappointed when they turned off the first bank sign on the St. Paul skyline, but otherwise, no. <laughs> like, don't be a butthead, Micah. Come on, you know. And so I said, no, not, not, not really. And I'm not sure what's going to happen next. And then he says, he says, 
I, I, I get the sense that you're a teacher. I'm like, wow, yep. And he keeps going, and he says, I, I, I feel like the Lord is saying that like, you're going to enter this season where there's going to be people who are going to come around you, maybe that you didn't even expect, and they're going to support you. And I'm starting to think, okay, this is, this is getting weird, right? Like he's reading my mail. And then he says, he says, uh, I, I have this sense that, uh, that the Lord might want to use you in like a prophetic way. Do you ever, do you, do you, have you ever sensed like you have a gift of prophecy? And I said, no, but my friends jokingly call me the prophet because my name's Micah. You know, Micah was a prophet. And then he says, I think that the Lord is, wants to maybe invite you to set down this gift and maybe to pick up this other gift and that there would be like maybe greater diversity among the people at Awaken. If any of you wrote prayers down last week in the park, do you know the number one prayer that came up in the park last week from this community? Greater diversity in our community. So now I'm sort of like weirded out, right? And he's literally like all of these things that he's, he's saying. So gang, I don't know what this means, right? I left, he, he left and he had a word for Steve, which was about being a father and whatever. And we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, huh. That was definitely the most interesting that's happened to me this week. And I kind of like, again, I didn't grow up in a culture where that was normal. And so personally, if I'm being totally honest, I'm trying to like make sense of like four or five things that he said were really actually very, very close to my heart and things that I'm processing right now in this like very week. So I found it fascinating, very interesting. And I felt like almost there was this moment where like, Maybe the veil, the curtain, where the things that are kind of happening that we don't see every day was just sort of pulled back a little bit. And I, got, and I saw something that maybe God is inviting me and us as a community into. And it was very, very interesting at the spot bar while drinking Summit. And I think that this passage in, Luke, or in Mark chapter 9, and it shows up in Matthew and in Luke, is in some ways similar to that where we sort of get this moment where the veil, the curtain is kind of pulled back a little bit, and Mark is trying to offer to us a picture of everything that's happening in this moment. The book of Mark hinges on this chapter, chapter 9, and this moment, this experience of the transfiguration of Jesus. Everything that comes before it and everything that comes after it is really hinged on this point. And it's like Mark just pulls back the curtain and shows us a little bit about what's happening here. So here's what I want to do this morning to try to understand this passage. I want to organize our thoughts in three, three ways. One is, I want to look at the places that show up in this passage, because Mark is tapping into a whole story that's come before this in terms of the places that he's naming or referencing. Then I want to look at this idea of the people that show up. Why these two? Why Moses and Elijah? And then lastly, these words that are spoken, all right? So um, if I were to say something like uh, school dance and Breckenridge and the blue shirt and Waterton Canyon and London and Kosovo and Napa Valley and the melting pot, these would all be like places. And if you knew Laura and I intimately and you knew our relationship and you knew our story, these would all be like markers along the way, right? But if you don't know our story and you don't know what's happened between us and our relationship, these are random ideas, right? The melting pot, blue shirt, Breckenridge, Waterton Canyon, doesn't mean anything to you. I want to suggest the same is true in Mark. 
If you don't know Torah and you don't know the story of the Israelites thus far in Scripture, then what Mark does in this passage is completely lost on you because he references a number of places. I'm just going to highlight a couple of them, all right? So places, everyone, places. My kids thought that was a lot funnier than you did. I was practicing with them on the other night. I don't usually do that, but I was like, I kind of need to practice my sermon. And they're like, Dad, practice on us. So everybody got saved, and it was great. <laughs> so the writers of the New Testament, and, and I would argue many of the writers uh, in the scriptures, use Old Testament passages and references just very, very commonly. They do so, and they assume that you, the reader, knows what they're talking about. They assume that you know the reference, and you know the moment, and you know the story, or you know the place and its significance. And these are, I, would like, I call them hyperlinks. My friend Alan, uh, this rabbi that I study with, he says there's hyperlinks all the way through the text. And there are tons of them in this passage, these hyperlinks. So in terms of places, we've been here before. If you read this passage and you think, oh, that sounds familiar, or I think we've been here before, it's because you have, and we have in the story of the scripture. So it begins with, verse 2, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. Numbers are never just numbers. But often they're references to something else. And so after six days, I think it's a reference all the way back to the beginning of the story in the book of Genesis. So if you remember the story in Genesis, in the creation poem, on the sixth day, does anyone remember who was created or what is created? Adam and Eve, humans. The story of humanity begins on day six. So on the sixth day, Jesus takes James, Peter, and John up on a mountain. In the story of Genesis, the sixth day is the beginning of the human story. It's the Genesis. It's like, it's, it's go. It's the, 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 the place from which it begins. And Mark is intent on telling us that what Jesus is about to do and what's about to happen and everything that follows is a new beginning for humanity. Paul says that Jesus is the second Adam. He's the new human. And I think Mark is intent on saying that what Jesus is about to do, it's going to be a new beginning and so on day six, when the story for humanity begins, here's another day six, the story of another humanity that's beginning. And then interestingly, the next day, of course, is the seventh day, which is the day of Shabbat, Sabbath, which means to stop or to rest. And what's fascinating, and this is where oftentimes what, what we get in the scriptures and in the spiritual life is paradoxical. It's sort of counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. All through the story of God in the scriptures, it begins with stopping. Sacred time, sacred community, our rhythm as human beings, it all begins with stopping. So Adam and Eve, their first day as humans isn't do, 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 work, 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 but it's actually, it's Sabbath, it's gift, it's rest. So ironically enough, this new beginning that Jesus is about to inaugurate will begin just like everything else begins, with stopping. The ultimate stopping, right? Death. So you have this number six, this place in the scriptures that we've been before. And then he says, he brings them up on a mountain. And if you know the story, the Old Testament in particular, if you know this story, you know that mountains have played a very significant role in the Israelite history. If you've seen the, uh, the, the Charlton Heston movie, Moses, right? You know this. Moses goes up on a mountain in Exodus chapter 19 to receive the law, to receive the Ten Commandments, Torah. And then later in that passage in Exodus 24, the 12 and 70 elders of Israel are brought up on top of the mountain, and they're all up there, and it says that essentially they see like the presence of God, and they, they feasted, they ate, and they drank with God. And then Moses is invited further up on the mountain, and he is in a cloud, it says. He's in God's presence, and it's like he's in a cloud. And to other people who's looking, it's like consuming fire. 
So this all happens on a mountain. Huge moment for Israel. They receive the law. Then again, when he has to go back up there, he receives the, the, the stone tablets, and he comes down from the mountain. And do you guys remember what happens? It says that his face is glowing, like he's transformed on the mountain, and he comes back down. So Mark says that Jesus, on the sixth day, takes these people, the three, up onto a mountain. Right out of the gate, Mark says, on the sixth day, the beginning, a new beginning, Jesus is about to inaugurate. He invites these 12 up on a mountain, and the language that he uses taps into all these stories of Israelites' history, of Israelites' most important moments with God. Later in our passage that we read, we hear this word, this is my son, the one whom I love, listen to him. We've been here before. If you remember our study in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 1, the book opens, not with Jesus' birth, but actually with Jesus being baptized by John. And if you didn't know, in the Exodus story, the previous one, when the Israelites come through the Red Sea and they're being chased by the, the Egyptians and they pass through the Red Sea, it's known as the baptism of Moses. So Mark begins the gospel with a second kind of exodus, a second baptism. The baptism not of Moses, but the baptism of Jesus. And so here in chapter 9, we hear again, this is my son tapping back into Mark chapter 1, tapping into Exodus and the Israelites leaving. So all of this is happening in the first like four words of this, this chapter, Mark says. Then Peter says, let's build, a, let's build a, a, a house, right? He says, oh my gosh, Elijah and Moses, Jesus, this is good. I'm so glad you brought us. I'm so glad you invited us. This is one of those awkward moments that I kind of wish I was there for, you know, uh, that maybe we'll see on a big screen on the other side of glory. Like it'll be replaying over and over again. And Peter will be like, oh my Lord, we should build a platform. We should build a house right here. The word that's used and the idea that he's talking about is what the Jews celebrate as Sukkot. And it's one of the festivals in the Jewish calendar. And Sukkot is the festival of tabernacles or booths. So what they're celebrating is this idea that God resided with them and with the people while they were wandering in the desert and the wilderness. And so they build these booths, these makeshift temples, these makeshift tabernacles to commemorate and celebrate the fact that the dwelling of God was with the people. So Peter says, here we are. God's, God is with us. He's dwelling. So let's build some booths. It makes total sense. So all of these places are being shown up in this passage, and Mark is key, keying in on them and wants us to key in on them as well. So what about these people? What about Moses and Elijah? Why do these two folks show up? At this moment, which seems like a big deal, could it have been David and Solomon? Could it have been uh, Abram or, or Nehemiah? I think it had to be Moses and Elijah, but why? If you remember, Moses brings Torah. He goes up on the mountain, and he brings back the law, the words of God for the people. Does anybody have anybody in their life who has a nickname that they just, like, can't outrun? Or maybe you have a nickname that you just, you, like, can't get far enough away from it. Somebody called you something when you were a kid, and it just, like, will not go away. Or you know somebody, and when you see them, you're like, oh, that's so-and-so, Ricky Bobby, or whatever his name is, you know? A nickname that you just can't outrun. Moses, in this sense, is exactly that. He can't outrun the fact, and, and even to this day in Jewish communities, Moses is always thought of as the one who brought the word of the Lord to the people. He's the one who brought Torah. Which is fascinating because then Jesus, in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus 
or the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus becomes the living word, the full embodiment of Torah. So Moses is the bringer of Torah. Why does he show up? Because he's the bringer of Torah. Why is Jesus there? Mark's saying he's taking it a click further. Not only does Moses bring Torah, but Jesus embodies, he fulfills it. He's the living embodiment of God's word. And then there's Elijah. Elijah is this prophet, one of the greatest prophets of Israel's history. And he, in 1 Kings 19, in this great moment, anoints the next leader of Israel, the next prophetic voice for Israel, this guy named Elisha, or Elisha. Now, if you know anything about Hebrew, you know that names mean something. And Elisha means, it's split up into two words, El, and the root word is Yeshua, or Ishua, which you should recognize, right? El means God, and Yeshua means salvation. So Elijah, the prophet, anoints Elisha, the next prophet, and his name literally means God is salvation. So here we have in this passage, Mark, we have Jesus up on a mountain for all the world to see, and who shows up but the bringer of Torah, and the one who anoints God is salvation, the one who anoints salvation. And here is Jesus smack dab in the middle of these two figures, two of the greatest figures in Israelite history, literally and metaphorically, being on top of a mountain, and Moses and Elijah show up. And then, I think the most important part of this is, in an instant, they're gone. They disappear, and all that is left, standing on top of a mountain, for all of the world to see, is the embodiment of the word of God and, the, and salvation. Jesus himself. For everybody to see. It's sort of like the proverbial mic drop, right? Mark is like, here it is. Here's the whole story from the beginning all the way up till now. And then here's Moses and here's Elijah bookending Jesus. And then they're gone and all that's left is Jesus. Break the wrist, walk away. Mic drop. Next question. And it's all here. It's all right there. If you have the eyes to see it. And if it's not confirmed by what's just said, then you hear the voice of God. And God, the, spirit, or, or the voice of God says, this is my son, whom I love, listen to him. It's kind of like the, the, the final confirmation, it's the, it's the linchpin, it's the sort of nail in the coffin. If you're not sure of what's happening here, then the voice of God speaks and it's, this is my son, whom I love, listen to him. Three things we have all heard already. This is my son, right? We've heard in Mark chapter 1 with the baptism of Jesus. The son of God or the sons of God in the Old Testament always referred to Israel. So God says, this is my son. Meaning, this is all that Israel was intended to be and the fulfillment of it right here in this moment. This is my son. The one whom I love. For like a billion Torah points, does anybody remember the first usage of love in scripture? Ironically, it's Abraham and Isaac. Genesis chapter 14, God says, take your son, your singular son, the one whom you love. So here we have a father and a son and a promise of salvation in Genesis 14. And then in Mark chapter 9, this is my son, the one whom I love. A father and a son and a promise and salvation all in a moment. Listen to him again and 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 again. Over and over and over in scripture, in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, in the prophets. God says, listen, listen, Israel. Hear, turn your ear to me. Listen, listen, listen. It wasn't just a good David Crowder song. It's actually in the scriptures. Listen, listen. This is my son, the one whom I love. Listen. 
And I don't know where you've come from this morning or what you go back to, but this is one of those passages in the scripture that is kind of like boil it all down and what is the story of the scriptures trying to say? It's trying to say here we have Jesus on a mountain, anointed, the one who is the fulfillment of the law, the words of God himself, who's about to die and be resurrected for the entire world to see. Who is it? What do you say? What do you think? Is this person worth following? It's kind of one of those quintessential moments. It's a threshold moment when you read a passage like this and you come across information like this. Did it happen or didn't it happen? And if it did, what does that mean? And if it didn't, what does that mean? Mark is trying to convince us that the entire story of humanity up to that point is coming into sharp focus with Jesus of Nazareth. And what's going on in this cryptic kind of passage, the transfiguration, Mark is trying to tell us that, in fact, Jesus is the prophet like Moses that was promised. He's the one who's been anointed to be the Messiah, and that through his death and resurrection, there is a new hope and a new way forward and a new way out of the darkness and into the light. Isaiah chapter 9 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in darkness. The people walking in distress have seen a great light, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And I sure wish that the scriptures were applicable to us today. If you've been watching the news lately, I, it's like overwhelming, isn't it? Like really? As if last week wasn't bad enough, then something happens, like, I can't even imagine the terror in France. Like, I don't know if you've thought that through. It is just, it seems so dark sometimes, doesn't it? And that's just like, for many of us, that's out there. That's not even in here. But I know, if I know anything, that many of you walk in this room today and there is darkness all around you. There's sickness and there's, there is relational darkness. There is all kinds of pain and sorrow and trouble. And I guess I would just want to remind us this morning that Mark is screaming from the mountaintops that there is somebody who knows the way back home. If Mark's saying anything in this passage, it's this. There is someone who can heal the broken and set loose the captives and give sight to the blind. That there is a light that has shone amidst a darkness so great for the whole world to see. And it's for you and it's for me, by faith. As I prepared for this morning, my prayer has been that um, this idea of may we, may you, find this light that will guide us home. I'm gonna invite John Mark and um, folks up. We're gonna close in just a moment. Uh, after a moment of silence, and they're gonna sing a song that we have not sung here. Um, so if you would maybe pray with me, and I wanna invite you into a time of silence. God, this morning as we gather, for many of us there is reason to celebrate, there's reason to be filled with joy, there's new life springing up all around, there's abundance, there is the smell of flowers and birds and the wonder of creation all around us. And yet at the same time, in the other hand, for many of us, there is pain and brokenness and despair and heartache. 
and toil and wonder, will it ever get better? Will you ever restore it? Will you ever rebuild it? Will you ever redeem it? And this is a question that we hear the prophets and the Psalms. God, when, how long, how long? And so I want to invite you in this time of silence to be present to whatever is in your heart. If it's joy, see it, experience it. If it's chaos and sorrow, to just hold it for a few moments and invite God into it. So Holy Spirit, speak to us, I pray. I don't know if you noticed, but we put candles in the back too. Um, Some of you have been um, participating in that, but there's always a candle on each side lit. You're welcome to use those as a symbol of whatever prayers you bring this morning or to a gathering and and to light another one. Um, This is a prayer for the light of resurrection that I found in a book of prayer this week, and I want to pray it over you as you go today. So receive this. Lord, free us from the dark night of death. Let the light of resurrection dawn within our hearts to bring us to the radiance of eternal life. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and with the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakeningcommunity or on Twitter at awakeningcommunity. See you next time.